Uh, Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. And we are uh, going to be finishing uh, the book of Daniel. And I hope this, this uh, book has been a, as encouraging to you and challenging to you as it has to me. As I've studied it along with you. And I'm just uh, thankful for the opportunity to preach and teach uh, God's word. And I don't uh, take that lightly. And I trust that, um, that we've all have learned through this and, and, and been assured of so many things, but just been assured that God's word is true, that God is in control. And we're going to look at the final chapter today, Daniel chapter 12. It says, and at that time, Michael, shall Michael stand up? This is the ark, or this is Michael, the angel. This is a powerful angelic being and here's what Michael's doing, it says that he, he standeth for the children of thy people. That Michael, this powerful angel, has been given, instructed by God, has been empowered by God to stand for the people of God. Now, this is probably in direct reference to the time of tribulation. It talks about there's going to be a time of trouble such as was never was since a nation, even to that same time. This is more than likely a reference to the tribulation, what's yet to come, and a reference to Israel because of how God's going to deal and work with them. And I know a lot of this is depending upon some of your es or es I can't say the word. What's the word? Eschological. Thank you. <laughs> I said it fine in the first service, so I don't know what happened, but I might need some more coffee or something. Um, but it seems like that this is a direct reference to how Michael, this mighty angel from God, right, is going to stand and deliver the people of God during this tribulation time. However, please don't think for one second that this doesn't apply to us right now. Because what we see, the first truth is this, that God rescues his people, that God stands for his people. That God guides, provides, protects the peop his people that he knows, that are believers, that know him. God stands for them. And we see this here. That, that Michael, the angel, he's standing for the people of God. This is a, a military term. Are we standing watch, standing guard? This powerful angel, Michael, is going to stand for the children of thy people. He says that there's going to be this time of trouble. Such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. But thy people shall be delivered. Everyone that shall be found written in the book. This is talking about those who know God. The people of God. We see that God rescues his people. God delivers his people. And yes, Michael here is, we continue from, you know, chapter 11 into, into 12 that that, that it seems like this is talking about the tribulation that is yet to come and how that God delivers his people, God protects his people, God preserves his people. And if you belong to God, if you are a child of God, God will preserve you, God will protect you because you have a God who fights for you. Isaiah chapter 43 says, But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and that formed thee, O Israel, fear not. Why? Because I have redeemed thee. 
I have called thee by name and thou art mine. That you, that I belong to God. We are the people of God. And that God, we don't have to fear because we have been redeemed. We don't have to fear because God is with us. He has called us by name. This is personal. You have a God that knows you, that loves you, that cares for you, that knows the very number of hairs on your head, that knows everything about you, that is with you. And he says, when thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they're not going to overflow you. He says, when thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame be kindled upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. Here's a principle. Here's a truth for all of God's people. For every time past, for the present, and for what is yet to come. That we have a God that delivers. We have a God who fights for us. We have a God that many times, you know what he does? He pulls us out and he delivers us out of trouble. And then there's times where God delivers us by going and sustaining and walking with us through the fire. Through the tribulation. This is what Isaiah says. Look, you're going to go through, not around, not going to pull you out, but I'm going to deliver you through the flood. I'm going to deliver you through the fire. Remember back a couple months ago, we looked in Daniel chapter 3. Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. We know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The new names they were given. They were going to bow to, to uh, Nebuchadnezzar's statue and worship that statue. And they stood for God. They said, we're not going to bow. And they said, God could deliver us, but God might not. We're still not going to bow. And yet, what did God do? God went with them through the fire. And many times that's what God has called us to do, to go through tribulation, to go through the fire. And our prayer is, God, get me out of it. God, get me out of it. We want to be shielded. We want to be shielded from pain. We want to be shielded from the anxiety. We want to be shielded from the grief. We want to be shielded from, from the depression and just... The, the heartaches and pain. And thank God there's many times God does shield us from those things. God does pull them out or God removes obstacles. But there's sometimes God has called us to walk through them. And the promise for every believer is that God will sustain us through it. That when we go through the flood, he will be there. When we go through the fire, we're not going to be burned. It doesn't mean that we won't face difficult times. It just means God, that language is talking about God preserves us through it. And look, I know that, that some of you right now, you're, you're walking through a fire. You're going through a flood. You're going through really, really difficult times. And honestly, I'm there with you right now. In my prayer, God... Shield me from it. God, deliver me out of it. God, keep this, this overwhelming pain and grief and, and just lament and sorrow and heartbreak and, and anxiety. God, I just, I don't want to have to face it. And yet many times, God is going to walk with us through it. And, and I'm not saying that God is the one that brings anxiety and depression. But I am saying that many times as we're walking through that, emotionally, 
mentally and spiritually that God is doing something in us. That God is accomplishing something through us. That sometimes the very things that we would do anything to, to get out of or for God to just clear that path, it's, a, it, it's the path God's called us to walk through. And it seems like a dark valley. It seems like there's no end in sight sometimes. But God will go with us through it. God will sustain us through it. There is another side. There is a glorious future that awaits. How do we know that? Because God's going to deliver his people. God always delivers his people. God rescues his people. And Daniel, though he's seen a lot and he's had some of these visions, remember, they trouble him greatly. It literally made him sick. Some of these visions he's seeing of what's yet to come. But this great promise, Michael's going to stand up. God is standing for you. God is fighting for you. God will rescue you. God will deliver you. Everyone that shall be found written in the book. This is a reference to those who are saved. Those who know the Lord that are written in the book of life. The ones who've come to God by faith in Jesus. And yet we see God rescues his people. Be assured today. Be confident today. You have a God that fights for you. That you belong to God. And God controls your destiny. That God will guide you and sustain you. And he will sustain me. He will go with us through that. And I totally get it. There's times we rest in those things. And we have faith and confidence. And then there's times we're eaten up with anxiety. We're eating up with grief and lament. And it's like, it, it's so similar to many of the prayers we read in Psalms, isn't it? The, the songs and the prayers where it's like the psalmist will cry out like, God, you're my rock. God, you're my fortress. God, you're my deliverer. God, you're, I'm not going to be afraid though, though 10,000 fall at my right hand. God, you're with me. And then like two verses later, God, where are you? God, why have you left me? God, why don't you hear me? Right? And that's exactly the same spiritual, emotional, mental struggles that we have at times. And that's okay. Like many times it's in that conflict and in, in those valleys that God is going to strengthen our faith eventually. That God is going to not just make us stronger, the many times we talk about, well, on the other side, I'm going to be stronger. And, and, and that can be true, right? Like God will strengthen us through those things so we can help others and we can be a better use and service for God. But sometimes it's just God is just teaching us his mercy. God is just sustaining us and we're going to know God more and know his love more and just know his mercy more more. But the great promise for believers is this, that God rescues his people. Sometimes he rescues us by taking us out of the trouble. Sometimes he rescues us by sustaining us through the trouble. But ultimately one day we will be delivered from this world, from this pain, from this sorrow, from the sin in this life. And we can be confident of that. He says, and many of them, verse 2, that sleep in the, in the dust of the earth shall 
awake. Some to everlasting life, some, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So Daniel's saying, look, there's going to be ultimately this, that every person has eternal life. Everyone will live forever. Those that are believers that know God are going to live forever in his presence in heaven and on this new earth. Those who have rejected Christ, those who don't know God, they also will live forever. But they're going to live forever in everlasting shame. They're going to live forever in a place called hell, separated from God for all of eternity. And some would say, well, that's unkind to speak that. But I actually feel the opposite. I believe it's unkind to not speak that because there is an urgency that all of us today, we are on the precipice of eternity. That all of us at any moment, this life on this earth could end and we will stand before God. We will stand before our creator. And the question is, do you know God? When you face him on that final day, will you face him having your sins been forgiven? Knowing you're a child of God, or will you face him in judgment because you rejected Jesus Christ as your Savior? See, the great question that all of us have, or all of us should have is, well, what happens after death? You know, the, the naturalist says nothing, right? It's just, it's, it's it. You die, and then you are done. You're just a body. And, and when the body dies, it goes in the ground. And that is it. It's a hopeless, hopeless situation. But that's the, the true atheist or naturalistic materialist. That is their conclusion. They think that we die and it all ends. There's a teaching called universalism that teaches there is life after death. And everybody makes it to heaven. Right? We're all going to get there. And through pluralism that teaches there's many roads that lead to heaven. That basically says this. All religions are the same, and eventually we're, they're all going to make it to heaven. But that's a horrible lie. And just logically speaking, that doesn't even make sense because all of those religions contradict one another. You know, if, if you really, unless you want to deny absolute truth, which is a very futile position to take, but unless you deny absolute truth, you can't believe pluralism and universalism because all those religions contradict one another. But universalism, everybody makes it. There's something called Christian universalism that says, well, eventually everybody makes it to heaven, not through different religions, but through, through the love of Christ that is so great and his mercy that is so great, eventually everyone will get there. This was a popular view about 15, 20 years ago. People like Rob Bell wrote books, Erasing Hell, and, and talked about how that will ultimately, eventually, everybody gets to heaven. The only problem with that is we don't see that teaching in Scripture. There's no verses for that that teach a Christian universalism. Then there is annihilationism, which basically says those that die without Christ, they're going to, you know, yeah, God will send them to hell. But then eventually it just, they're done, right? It just, they're going to just be burnt up and, and they cease to exist. But that's also not a teaching that we see in scripture. There's a teaching of reincarnation. You get to come back some other form and you get to try again. You know, depending on what you do the first time depends on 
how you come back, what you come back at. Basically, another chance, but that's nowhere in Scripture. You have a teaching purgatory. It says, well, you go to a place called purgatory. You pay for your sins for a while. And then once you've paid enough for the sin, once people pray you out, like, then you're good. But that's also a teaching we don't find anywhere in Scripture. How about this? This is some, some believers actually hold this position. It's called soul sleep. Have you heard of this? Basically, you die and your body goes to sleep. It's a euphemism for your body is dead. It goes in the ground. But also your soul sleeps and you're just awaiting Christ's return and then you're resurrected. But the thing is, we have scripture that talks about when this body dies, that our soul is with the Lord, right? Remember Paul's words? We talked about that last week, I believe, that to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. He talks about in 10 Corinthians 5, that, that though this, he talks about this body is like a tent or a tabernacle. If it's dissolved, we have a house not made with hands in the heavens. And Paul also references Many times, like the saints of God on earth and in heaven, we see in Revelation, there are saints in heaven right now that are worshiping around the throne that they were, in some, in some cases, they were martyred for their faith. They're in heaven. They're aware. They're conscious to a certain degree. They're aware of even some things happening on earth. So we have many scriptures that, that, that I believe clearly show that soul sleep isn't true. Now, so I'm not saying someone's not a Christian if they believe in soul sleep. I'm just saying I don't find that biblically accurate, right? I believe that the Bible teaches this. When this body dies, yes, the body sleeps in the sense of what Daniel's talking about, its place in the ground. We die, but our soul is with the Lord, and we are awaiting this final resurrection. Your loved ones who know the Lord, they are with him, their soul is in heaven. They're with the Lord now. They are rejoicing, praising, and glorifying God at this very moment. They are in some degree aware and conscious. They're at peace. They're at rest with the Lord. But they are awaiting the final resurrection, as we one day will, unless we're alive when Christ returns, that this body is awaiting a resurrection that's yet to come, where we're going to have a new body, a body that's without sin, without death, without pain, without sickness, all of those things that we talked about, the glorious future that awaits. But the unbelievers also will be resurrected, and they'll stand before God at something called the great white throne judgment. This is for those who have rejected God. And they will stand before God and they will be cast into the lake of fire. You say, well, that, that's not fair. That, that, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't, how, how can a loving God send someone to hell, right? That's an objection people have. And I understand why that would be an objection. But I think there's two things that we don't realize. I mean, many things, but let me give you two. First of all, I think that people that oppose to that think, well, how is it fair? Well, first of all, we don't have a proper view of the holiness of God, right? So our sin doesn't seem that bad because we're, we don't have a view of how holy and righteous God is. So we don't realize how our sin is so offensive to God, 
how our sin is, 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 is so harmful and how it is exceeding sinful before God. But second of all, I think that we don't understand that it's not just that someone goes to hell and they, they have to spend eternity paying for their sin, which by the way, it's sin Jesus paid for and offers salvation to all who will believe, right? But if someone rejects that gift and rejects the fact that Jesus provided that justice for them on the cross, well, then they have to pay for their own sin. And it's not just for 50, 60, 70, 80 years in this life. See, people in hell don't stop sinning. Just like people who are in prison right now, paying for their crimes, doing the time to pay for their crimes that they committed in society and culture, just like they don't stop sinning now that they're in prison. I mean, just the opposite, right? And yet I think that sometimes we think, oh, well, people in hell, they just want another chance and they want to turn to God and God's not letting them. No, I believe that people in hell don't stop sinning. In fact, they continue their hatred and rebellion and rejection of God. But I say all that to say as we look at this and we see there's a final judgment that's coming. There is an urgency for us to give the gospel to people around us because eternity is at stake. Daniel says in verse 3, says that, that the wise, they're going to shine like the brightness of the firmament. Those that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. This seems to be speaking about reward to those that serve God. And specifically, those that are turning many to righteousness. Those that are proclaiming the good, glorious news of Christ to those around them. And we see this urgency here. We get to have, we get to have a part in giving the gospel. We get to have a part in God's work here on this earth. God could use any ways and multiple ways to get the, get the glorious message out, to reveal truth. But yet, you know what the primary way God has chosen for us is that we speak for him, that we give people the glorious news of the gospel, that we are turning many to righteousness, not in the sense that we're doing it. It's got to be the power of God through his word, through his spirit, but we're involved in this process. God has left us here on this earth to proclaim his word, to glorify him through our life. We can do that by turning many to righteousness. Verse number four says, but thou, O Daniel, Shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and, and knowledge shall be increased. So this, some, some think this is a, that this is a prophetic thing talking about that, uh, pointing out maybe like the information age, that this is yet to come, that there's coming a day, that knowledge is going to increase, that in the last days, like, again, some, this is a, speculation a little bit, right? But like with, with the internet, with social media, knowledge is just going to flourish. I think it may be more in reference to even though there's going to be a famine of, of truth and knowledge that yet there's going to be a great desire for it. And it could be both. It could be that there's going to be this great increase, this this, this in this era, in this time of information explosion. But what we see is this, that God, God is in control of the future. 
Daniel looked, and behold, there stood two, there stood other two, the one on the side of the bank of the river and the other on the side of the bank of the river. And one said to the man clothed in linen, which is upon the waters of the river, how long shall it be to the end of these wonders? So Daniel, like there's two angelic beings, right? Daniel is witnessing this. The question is, how long until these things happen? Like this time of trouble, like we read about in verse one, such as never was since the nation, even to that time. Hey, how long are these things going to be? When is it going to happen? And how long is it going to be? And you know, all these questions, right? That we understand that they would have. And yet verse seven, he says, I heard a man heard the man clothed in linen, which is upon the waters of the river. He held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven. So this is a, a way of he's swearing like under solemn oath by him that liveth forever, that it shall be for a time, times, and a half. Do you get that? How long is it going to be? Oh, a time, times, and a half. You know what that is, right? And we shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, talking about probably Israel, all these things shall be finished. So many think this is in reference a time, and then times plural, and then a half. This is a reference to the last three and a half years of the tribulation. Once again, it depends on your view of eschatology, right? I think that that fits. I think that that's quite possible that he's talking about futuristic, these, this time of trouble, this time of tribulation until what happens. He says, he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people and all these things shall be finished. Looks like Israel is going to just be decimated and wiped out before Christ then returns victorious after the tribulation. So, could quite possibly be, but here's what we know. We know that the Lord is in control of these things. Verse 8, I heard, I understood not. Like, I don't know what in the world they're talking about. He says, I, O oh Lord, what, what shall the end of these things be? So he said, go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the end of time. In other words, he says, God's got this. God's in control. These words are sealed. God is in control of what's going to happen. God, God is guiding this. It's sealed, Daniel. Go your way. In other words, Daniel, just keep doing what you're called to do. Just keep being faithful. Go your way. Many, verse 10, shall be purified and made white and tried. But the wicked shall do wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. So what we see here is this, God purifies his people. How are God's people purified? Well, through being justified through Jesus Christ, right? And then the evidence of that is the sanctification in our life that God continues his work in our life. God continues to purify his people. God continues to set apart and make his people holy. But he says the wicked, they're going to keep doing wickedly. They're going to keep doing their thing. They're going to keep going. They're going to increase in their wickedness. And we see this is what is being said to Daniel here. Now we're going to have another kind of time frame here. He says, from that time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, the abomination that maketh desolate. Here's that phrase again, right? That abomination of desolation. The abomination that makes desolate. It says, from that time, sacrifices stop. The abomination of desolation, at that time there shall be 
2,290 days. And then verse 12, which confuses us even more. Blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the thousand three hundred and five and thirty days. So you got these two different time frames, right? He's like, okay, you're gonna have you're gonna have the twelve hundred and ninety days, and then he gives another time frame. You're gonna have a thousand three hundred and thirty-five days. So first of all, what is the abomination that makes desolate? What's the abomination of desolation? Well, we talked about that. Daniel 8 and even last week, some Daniel 11. So remember um, the madman, Antiochus Epiphanes, this crazy dude that, that is just decimating the, God's people. And he is, sets up this, this god of Zeus. He sacrifices a pig on the altar just in complete mockery and disregard. It seems like that was an abomination of desolation that was a picture, right, of, of a future event, though, that's coming. Why do we say future? Well, because last week we talked to Matthew 24. This is definitely after Antiochus. Jesus said, he says, when you see, and he's quoting Daniel, the abomination of desolation. So we know, he's like, hey, this is the generation that's not going to pass away till these things be fulfilled. So now, once again, depends on your, your, your es what's the word again? Eschatological. I don't, I guess got to stop saying that word because that's like tongue tying me. I promise I've never had an issue saying that until now. Depends on your view of end times, right? Like some say, well, this, this is Titus in 70 AD. Jesus predicted this. He said this generation, talking about that generation that was there listening to him. This generation's not going to pass away till you see the Son of Man coming in power. Well, Christ didn't return, right, in 70 AD. No, but many think that's referencing him coming in judgment. The destruction of the temple in 70 AD. Titus the conqueror comes in, decimates the city of Jerusalem, destroys the temple, and historically speaking, and this is where the preterists, they, they come with a lot of historical evidence and say, he set up these statues of, of pagan gods in great mockery. Some say that's the abomination of desolation. There we go. We've got it. And I would say that once again, like I'm not doubting those things happen. Historically, those things all happened. I don't know that that is the ultimate fulfillment though. It seems like it's yet to come. It seems like the abomination of desolation is when, when the Antichrist is going to set up, he's going to stop sacrifices, right? So the temple will be rebuilt, sacrifices will start up again, and the Antichrist is going to stop those. The Antichrist is going to make a treaty for three and a half years. He's going to break that, and then he is going to set up the abomination of desolation, as we read in Revelation 13, going to set up a statue of him of himself and and he along with his false prophet are going to demand that people worship it crazy right like this is predicted of what is what i believe is so futuristic that's yet to happen do we see this fulfilled partially in antiochus absolutely do we see this partially fulfilled with titus the the roman conqueror absolutely but I believe there's still a future of these things. 
the great tribulation, the end of times, right? And I believe that this is what it's referred to, the abomination of desolation. And so there's going to be how long? 1,290 days. Well, that's approximately three and a half years, but it doesn't work exactly. I mean, it could be. That's why some think, okay, this is referring to that second half of the tribulation. It's like, well, you know, we, we get there, we kind of get close, depending on, you know, the, the, the Jews calendar and how many, remember that conversation, how many days are in the year for them versus how many, the 365 days a year for us. And it's like, I don't know that that fits completely. And then the, the 1335, I don't know what that's referring to. I mean, you got a 45-day gap between them, and there's a lot of speculation on what that number is. Well, that is then Christ returns after the tribulation with the saints, with us. His, there's going to be the judgment of the nations, and it's 45 days until Christ sits on that throne of, of David for the millennial kingdom. And I just say... It's quite possible, but I don't really know. I don't really know. And apparently Daniel's troubled by this, right? Like, man, he wants to know, like, the timing of these things. He wants to know more details. And again, I think that we do need to be wise and understand and be discerning and study these things. And I have no problem with the, I have no problem with the time chart, you know, looking at what are the events rapture of the church, the three and a half years, and then another three and a half years, so seven years of tribulation. I think those things fit. I think that's quite possible, but it's also one of those things, once again, I'm not going to be super dogmatic on something that I can't show very clearly and plainly that this is absolutely what the Bible teaches, because here's the thing. I promise you, like, there's some weakness, there's some weak points to whether the, the rapture Three and a half years, then Christ returns, or is it after the seven Christ returns, or, or have all these things been fulfilled, right? It's 70 AD. It's like each viewpoint has some weaknesses and has a lot of strengths. And I'm not saying you can't have an opinion. I'm not saying we can't, you know, boldly and, 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 um, we can't proclaim that. I'm just saying, let's be gracious. Amen. Let, let's, let's understand there's in, within Orthodox Christianity, there's some different viewpoints of this. And so we don't know exactly and entirely even like what these days mean. We can guess and we can look at other scripture and say, hey, this fits. This quite possibly could be. But closes out Daniel in verse 13. Go thy way till the end be. Go thy way till the end be. For thou shalt rest and stand in thy lot at the end of the days. What we see finally is this. God rewards the faithful. God rewards the faithful. It says, Daniel, go and stand in your allotted place and be at peace and be at rest until the end of days. Daniel, his whole life, just served God faithfully. Daniel never sought the fame. Daniel never sought that recognition. Daniel never sought that platform. Now, a lot of times God gave it to him. But that was never Daniel's goal. That was never what Daniel sought. And here Daniel's told, go, go Daniel, go your way. Keep doing what you're doing. But Daniel lived a long life and a faithful life before God. And he never sought that recognition. He never sought that applause. 
He never sought the fame, the popularity. And may we learn from this example. May we be like Daniel and just serve God faithfully. Serve God consistently, even in difficult times. I mean, you look at Daniel's life, the vast majority of his life, he lived as a captive. Now, there were some times that were better than others during those years, but there were also some difficult times, right? But yet Daniel stood for God. Daniel stood for God when he had so much to lose. Daniel still stood for God, and God blessed him. God prospered him. God eventually elevated him, and then that was taken away, and then, he, and then God elevated him again to different places. But Daniel lived his whole life, not perfectly, but faithfully. And may that be our desire, to live like Daniel. To live like Daniel. Go thy way till the end be, for thou shalt rest and stand in thy lot at the end of days. God rewards the faithful. And you know what? You may not see the reward or the re recognition here, and that's okay. Now, many times, God's blessings here are amazing. God's blessings here are, are just so overwhelmingly gracious and good. But you know what? You may, not, you may not see the fame, the recognition. You may not have the applause. You may not have that here. But know this, God rewards the faithful. And may our desire be is just to faithfully serve God in our allotted place. Faithfully serve God where he's called us. And let God deal with the platforms, right? Too often we seek a platform. Too often we seek the recognition. Do people know me? Do they respect me? Do, do people know what I'm doing? Do they know who I am? And obviously we want to have a good reputation with people if we're a follower of Christ. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't want to have that good reputation. But leave the platform and the results and all those things up to God. Maybe you're in a season of life right now. You don't have that. Maybe God's going to give that to you later. But ultimately, may our desire just to be to serve God faithfully. Whatever God's called us to do. You know, you may get the, the applause, the recognition. You may not. Right? Like even, even just uh, from, from a ministry perspective. Like, you know what? As a church... A lot of exciting things happening, and I praise God. I rejoice in that. But you know what? If God's, if it seems like another church maybe is growing more, growing faster, uh, having more blessings, you know, from just our, our perspective, praise God. It's up to him, right? Who cares about the applause? Who cares about the recognition? Hey, if they're preaching God's word, if they're faithfully following the Lord, and, 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 and they're standing on God's word, man, they're, they're our allies, Right? They're our brother. They're, thank God for that. And too often we get wrapped up in the applause. How many followers? How, how, how many views? How many clicks? How, how many of that? And you know what? None of that matters. Let's just serve God faithfully. Because here's the thing. One day we're going to die. One day I'm going to die. You know, I hope God gives me a long life to serve him, to preach his word, to plant churches here in the Quad Cities. I hope God gives me a long life to do that. But whether God calls me home tomorrow or whether I've got a lot more years to do that, eventually, if, if Christ doesn't return in my lifetime, I will die and I will be forgotten. And that's okay because it's not about us, right? Just serve God faithfully. Let's be like Daniel. Just serve him consistently. Serve God faithfully and know this, God's going to reward the faithful. I'm not saying we earn salvation or earn heaven, but 
as because Jesus Christ, what he accomplished on the cross, and because we're saved by grace through faith, not by our works, right? That we have meaning and purpose in this life. Let's be like Daniel. Let's serve God faithfully. Let's serve God no matter what we face. God, I thank you. For